0: You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were so captivated by something that it brought you to tears? Can you remember a time where you got so excited that you could barely contain your emotions? Well, here's the reality. It's not too hard to look out into the world and see a battle. It's not too hard to feel that the darkness has gained the upper hand. And it's not too hard to find yourself in a place of despair. However, even in this darkness there is a celebration of the beautiful truth that what once was torn is now mended, what once was lost is now found, and what once was dead is now alive. The garden of God's desire to dwell with man has bloomed in the shape of an empty tomb. This is the climax of redemption.
1: In just a moment, I'm going to have you open your Bibles. But what that video reminds us is that there are themes that have been weaving about throughout history. Whether it's darkness, whether it's blood, whether it's battles, whether it's valleys. And then in contrast to light and to victory. You know, this book is actually the best-selling book of all time. This book has been translated into more languages than any other book. But what we do here, week in and week out at Ascend, is we study this ancient book, this best-selling book... And understand it to be a story. It is actually the greatest story that has ever been told. Most of us could come up with authors in our present day who are master storytellers. Maybe it's J.K. Rowling or Tom Clancy. The thing that these master storytellers do is they weave together themes and topics and patterns and characters so that as you're reading the novel, the the story and the point that the author is writing comes alive. That's what we're studying during this Holy Week celebration. Looking through the lens of the garden, we're looking at four different gardens that the Bible provides for us to see the theme. Of redemption, And friend, the theme of redemption is something offered to you here this morning. It is the opportunity for you as you have pursued all kinds of offerings this world has to offer. The, the invitation to find satisfaction in work or relationships or possessions. You find them to be empty. This, this morning, is the hope you've been looking for. So what I want you to do is bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you do that for me? This morning, this is so much more than a religious exercise. It's so much more than an event that you're using to celebrate a holiday. This is a personal journey and invitation for you. What I want you to do with your heads bowed and your eyes closed is to ask the God of the universe to impact your mind to impact your hearts, to impact your souls. And I believe that if you will genuinely ask God to do this, that the story that we will unpack this morning has something for you. It has something for you that will provide hope and help that nothing else this world can offer. What's amazing is that God's word says that when we ask him anything according to his will, not only does he hear us, but he will actually answer us. So as I pray, would you ask God to do this for you? Father, I thank you for Resurrection Sunday that offers to us the invitation to find hope and help in the garden. Hope and help in redemption. Hope and help in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's anyone here that has not surrendered their life to Christ, that has not received forgiveness of their sins, that is not trusting in Christ's completed work for their salvation, that as we unpack the story of Easter, your Holy Spirit would empower them to respond. The world offers so much to us with the lie that it will somehow satisfy, and yet It is only the truth of your word and the gospel found in Jesus Christ that offers what every human heart longs for. So do your work, I pray, and every mind and heart and soul that is present here today, in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm going to do something in this service. That I did not do in the previous two because I've had people ask me to do it. And so if you are in the overflow, and we have a lot of people in the overflow, we're going to have a competition. So I'm going to say the phrase, he is risen, and if you've been part of a church that has done this in the past, the proper response is he is risen indeed. So here's what we're going to do. You who are in the overflow, we want to hear you in here. We're, we're going to try to be loud, but we want to be able to hear you in the overflow. And so I'm going to say he is risen, and then everybody respond, he is risen indeed. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I think they did pretty well. I might have been able to hear them, but he is certainly risen. And this back and forth is not simply a religious exercise. It is an expression of the hope of humanity. And as we enter the garden of the empty tomb, we, we have the opportunity to build on the previous two sermons. The first one was an opportunity for us to enter the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, what we saw is the Creator laid out the elements that would satisfy humanity. Everything that we need as humans to be truly satisfied is found in the Garden of Eden, but Adam and Eve made a mess of it. And in their sin, humanity and creation has been corrupted and we studied on Friday evening the garden of gethsemane how these elements that god has laid out has been permeated by the corruption of sin and so no matter how great the experience no matter how great the relationship it will be permeated by the corruption of sin so in other words in any possibility for that permeation to be overcome for the brokenness of creation to be restored it required a cost. And that cost was paid by Jesus Christ. But we enter a third garden this morning, and that is the garden of the empty tomb. And as I studied this passage, I was reminded of the fact that life is filled with influences, isn't it? The older I get, the more I realize how powerful influences are In our lives. And those influences can be the community in which we grow, or the family in which we were raised, or the education experiences we have in life. Perhaps you would look at your life and say that you have been very, air quotes, lucky. Others of you might say, My life is characterized by oppression, and I'm a victim. There are other influences that are inherent to us just personally, things like our own sin, things like our intellectual strengths and weaknesses, things like our physical capacities. And we live in a culture today that says that these influences are to be our identities. We live in a culture today that says these influences should define us. And so what ends up happening is we look in the physical mirror or the metaphorical mirror and we take these influences and experiences or even, dare I say, diagnoses and we assign to them identity. We assign to them our definition. And yet what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us is that no matter how powerful these influences are in our lives, the gospel can and will overcome them. And beloved, we live in a society and in a time where that message is desperately needed. So would you look at your notes and see the big idea of this resurrection story? The resurrection from the garden tomb clears the way for victory over any influences we can have in our lives. Do you believe that? And whether you do or not does not change the truth that it is. And as we walk through this text and perhaps review familiar territory for you, if you've studied the Bible before, the fact is, as we will see some powerful influences, not just for the characters of the story, but for you and me as well. And the resurrection can overcome them. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you, to grab one in the seats in front of you, and don't be embarrassed, just ask the person next to you, if you're not close to it, to hand you that Bible. What I invite you to do is turn to John 19, on page 906 in those Bibles, and I invite you to read along. As I said, this is an ancient text. This is a religious book. But it is more than that. It is a story in which we actually find ourselves It is a story in which we actually find the only true hope and help that is offered to humanity. It is a book that while sections and topics are difficult to understand, it is intended to be understood. And so here's what we do at Ascend. Every week we study this book, not so that you can listen to an expert who's the only one who can understand it, but so that I can model to you how to understand and study this book. I'm not teaching you from a position of my own interpretive beliefs. I'm not teaching you from some system that I gained in a seminary. I'm teaching you how to study the Bible the way Jesus taught his disciples and the way that the authors of Scripture understood it. And so every week we grow in our ability to gain tools to understand this amazing book. And I promise you that if you will follow along in the words that we uncover, that you will be gaining tools to study and understand this book. So let's first look at the climax that the resurrection teaches us, and that is that the resurrection overcomes prison. The resurrection overcomes prison. Look at John 14, beginning in verse 40. I said 14, it's 19. (laughs) John 19, verse 40, it says, So they took the body of Jesus, and would you look at this phrase, bound it. Would you underline that phrase in your Bibles? Would you circle it? Whatever you have to do to call it out. I I think that this is important. The master storyteller, John, is using a phrase that he had just used a few verses prior to actually advance the story and add color to it in a way that will teach us. Look back, if you would, at John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is the account of Jesus with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in John 18 verse 12 it says, So the band of soldiers and their captive, captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. It's the same word. And I think what John is doing is showing that people attempted to bind Jesus with handcuffs and chains, but also his dead body was bound in linen. Now, I want to show you two sides of this binding or two sides of this imprisonment because I think you're going to find yourself in one of the two sides. The one side is that people often throughout history attempt to bind Jesus to fit their expectations. They attempt to bind Jesus to control him. Consider what Jesus accomplished in the three years of his formal earthly ministry. You know, we think about seasons of our lives, and there are the seasons of high school, it was more than three years. The seasons of college, if you attended college, more than three years. And think about what we have to show for our high school or college careers, not much. But the ripple effect of what Christ accomplished in the three years of his earthly ministry are actually what brought you here to this building today. Jesus accomplished so much and truly he accomplished bringing down cultural barriers, didn't he? He accomplished extending mercy and compassion to those in need. He he healed people of their leprosy. He cast out demons. He was a God of compassion. He's a God who gets us. But I think what we often do is we stick to these descriptions of Jesus and we keep him there. But the fact is, in the rest of Jesus' ministry, there was also another side, wasn't there? Jesus called out sin. Jesus called out corruption in leadership. When Jesus was around, there was accountability. And that's the part that humans don't like. I'm reading a book about the modern man. And it's talking about how men and women today like to have as their ultimate authority themselves It used to be that in cultures there were laws of a community that were the authority, or there was the pastors or the priests. But the fact is we live in a day where the ultimate authority for human beings is what they feel or what they think. The fact is that's not the Jesus of Scripture. The Jesus of Scripture says it is his definitions, it is his standards, it is his truth that is absolute for all people, all cultures, all generations of all time, and that's not fun. And so what happens is I think people try to bind Jesus. So I think John is showing through the details of the story and by using this word in close proximity twice twice, that that's often what happened in Jesus' ministry is people tried to control Jesus. They tried to keep him at arm's length. My question to you is, is that how you're approaching Jesus? Now there's another side of the imprisonment coin And that is the fact that Jesus cannot be bound. Amen? Here's a quote I'll ask the team to put up on the screen. No matter how intentional the aggression of the enemy or life's circumstances, Jesus will not be bound. What a beautiful imagery this is. So that no matter what you bring to the table of the gospel, no matter what you bring to this topic of the cross, no matter what your past, no matter what your personality, the fact is, is that Jesus cannot be bound and neither can you when you trust his completed work. All of that is expressed in this garden. It says in verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. Verse 42, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. I'm going to show you a picture of three images that I took when I was in Israel. This is in Jerusalem in what is referred to as the garden tomb. And we've laid out this picture because if you were standing in the garden, this is essentially where everything would be. Over on the right side, as you look at the cliff, there's some cave indentations. A lot of scholars believe that if you look back, it looks like a skull, and that might be why that mountain was called the Place of the Skull. But as you enter the garden, look at the contrast between the, the stone and the browns of Israel and the garden and the vibrance. What a contrast that is. And when you walk into this garden, if any of you have ever been there, the, the contrast is beautiful. It almost takes your breath away. But the, the most beautiful thing in this garden is there in the middle it's this tomb that is hewn out of the rock. That is empty. And friends, it's this garden and that tomb that reminds us that prison can be overcome through the resurrection. And so friend, no matter where you find yourself here today, whether you're trying to imprison the Jesus of Scripture by making Him fit your definitions, by holding Him at arm's length, or whether you come to the gospel in the imprisonment of the past, or your personality. The binding of Jesus, the imprisonment of Jesus, reminds us that Jesus cannot be bound, and if you trust in Him, neither can you. Number two, the second climax, is that the resurrection overcomes personalities. We're going to skip Mary in verse 1, and we'll come back to her in just a moment, but it says in verse 2 that Mary ran and went to Simon Peter, and it says the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, in the Gospel of John, John never mentions his own name, and while we don't know exactly why John refers to himself in this secondary description, it's most likely that he was so amazed that God saved him. So amazed and humbled by the fact that the Messiah chose him to be one of his own. So this is Simon Peter and the Apostle John. Now, if you've studied the Bible, you know that these were powerful personalities. In fact, James and his brother John were referred to as the sons of thunder. That's my English edition there powerful personalities, Simon Peter, powerful personalities. These these were the kind of men that would see something emotionally be moved and then act. Or if you think about the progression that should be in place, where you ready, then you aim, then you shoot, these were men who would shoot. (laughs) Powerful, powerful personalities. In fact, if you look at the account, that is given here it says that John and Peter ran to the garden but John says I beat him I think that's interesting John though waits at the entrance of the tomb and Peter goes right in that was their personalities maybe you have taken personality tests and there's some value to them there are certain personality tests that I think should be avoided but they do reveal something about ourselves. They, they reveal something about our genetics. They, they reveal about influences that are found inside of us. But here's a quote that I often like to say, and that is, Personalities influence, but they don't define. Would you write that down? For, for our society today, that is groundbreaking territory. For our culture today, this may sound absurd, but the fact is, is that God has wired us with personalities that truly do influence, but they do not define us. You may say you're an introvert, but listen, that does not excuse you from interacting with others. You may say, well, I like to process things and take my time, but that does not excuse you from making decisions. Now those are easy for us to swallow. How about this one? Maybe you come from a family of alcoholics. And studies do tell us that there is some influence in the genetics if you look at alcoholism. But listen, that does not define you. The fact is, is that God's Word tells us the resurrection overcomes personalities. And and I'll prove that to you from Scripture. You can write down 1 Peter chapter 5. The man who just emotionally stuck his foot in his mouth, the man who spoke before he thought, became a mature father in the faith, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5. The man who was the son of thunder that when he saw somebody attacking Jesus and the disciples with their words, said, do you want us, Jesus, to call to heaven to bring down fire upon these people became the apostle of love in 1 John. How did those strong personalities actually get changed? Well, there's three verbs in this story that I think point us to the answer. The first one is this in verse 5. It says they stooped. The word stoop means to stoop. (laughs) It means to bend down so that you can investigate. It's like walking by a flower, and instead of just walking by it, you actually take your time to get down on the level to investigate it. It says that they stooped at the entrance of the tomb. But the next verb is found later that says they actually saw. So it's not enough to physically stoop down. You must also investigate. You must also learn. You must also, listen to this, be teachable. That's what the word see means. And so when it comes to personalities, you might have your hand folded, arms folded, and say, Well, no, this personality test told me I am this. Or you might say, Well, my parents, my family were just angry people. That's just who I am. If that's your disposition, then you're not teachable, you're not seen. See, they stooped at the entrance of the tomb. They looked and they were teachable and the facts told them what they hadn't previously believed. And when they discovered that, verse 8 says, they, look at what it says, they believed. The word believe there is the word pastuo that is elsewhere translated Faith. This is not simply somebody seeing facts and then intellectually agreeing. This is somebody who is committing. This is somebody who is trusting. This is somebody who is all in. And beloved, this is the path to see change in your life is to stoop so that you can investigate, to see with a teachable disposition. And when the facts of Scripture are brought to your life, even if the world tells you something different, even if you believe something for years because of tradition, the Bible tells you something different, the path to change is believe and commit. My question to you is, have you? Because the climax tells us that resurrection overcomes personalities. Number three, the climax... Tells us that resurrection overcomes past. Now back to Mary, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. What you see in these details is that this woman was committed, she was loyal. In fact, look down at verse 11. It says that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. What's fascinating is that as the story is unpacked, it says that Jesus was right there with her, but she didn't recognize him. Most scholars believe that this was because the tears were flowing so heavily that she couldn't see through the tears. Maybe you've had a past that's brought those kinds of tears to your life. This woman was committed, she was loyal, and why was that? It's because she had a past, and she was familiar and true about her past. Some movies and series say that Mary Magdalene was immoral. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it does tell us, you can write this down in Luke seven forty-one through 50, that Jesus had healed her of seven demons. I don't know about you, one is enough. Seven demons had oppressed her, and Jesus cast them out. Jesus freed her. She she understood her past. But Jesus had confronted it and had changed her. But it wasn't just the casting out of demons, I think, that actually overcame her past. And I would submit to you that it's right here in the text. Verse 15 says that Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? whom are you seeking she supposed him to be the gardener and she said sir if they you have carried him away tell me where you have laid him and i will take him away she had heard his voice but it wasn't until verse 16 that she recognized who he was look at verse 16 jesus said to her mary mary You know, what's interesting is that the same author of John 20 is the same author of John 10, and I think that's what actually teaches us what overcame her past. You can write down John chapter 10 and verse 3. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and I know them by name. Friends, the way that Mary's past was overcome was by her surrendering to the great shepherd. Listen to this. Any past can be overcome by the power of the resurrection through a life submitted to the great shepherd. Friends, that is why you came today. You might have thought that you came today because this is Easter and you go to church. That's what you do. You might have thought that you came today because a friend invited you. You might have come today because this is your church home. But this is why you came today. This statement, any past can be overcome by the power of the resurrection through a life submitted to the great shepherd. Jesus overcomes any past. And you might be limited in reflecting on your past and thinking only of activities. You might say, well, pastor, you don't know. I don't have a whole lot of bad in my past. Yes, you do, because you're in your past. Consider what a pastor gave as an illustration. Matthew 18 is an amazing story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a servant and a master. And Jesus says that the servant owed the master 10,000 talents. The master forgave that servant. And then that servant went out to a fellow servant who owed him a thousand talents and he did not forgive him. And what this pastor showed us is that if you plug that formula into Excel so that the thousand talents is just a bar that is an inch high, the bar of the 10,000 talents would be seven miles high. That has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with who you are. And so friend, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter what's been done to you in your past, the fact is, is you have a debt seven miles high that Jesus is ready to forgive. And not only is he ready, he does it because of the resurrection. Have you received that forgiveness? Have you trusted in his completed work? Have you laid down the throne of your life and trying to do it yourself and picked up the cross and followed after him? You know what's interesting is that it doesn't just stop there. Mary falls at his feet. She is worshiping him, which is proper and appropriate. But look what Jesus says to her in verse 17. He says, do not cling to me. I've struggled in the past with why Jesus said this to her. Isn't it appropriate for Mary to be worshiping at Jesus' feet? But, but, but I think the point is the same as what Jesus said to John in, John in Revelation chapter 1. As John fell at Jesus' feet in the vision of Jesus' glorified body in Revelation 1, Jesus says, do not linger, do not stay here, there's work to be done and i think that's what jesus is saying to mary listen to this overcoming the past empowers and expects a life that courageously goes forward in the power of the gospel friend no matter what you see in the mirror no matter what you see in your past If you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection has overcome it. And it is not enough for you to just linger and stay in this worship service. There's work to be done. Go out and do it courageously. The climax tells us that the resurrection overcomes the past. But then number four, the climax tells us that the resurrection overcomes position. See, there's one last verse in our story. And for our modern culture, it's difficult to understand the significance of what it says. But verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. That was absurd in Jewish culture. In fact, one commentator says this, Among the Jews, women were not permitted to bear witness. Their culture said that as a woman, you could not formally bear witness of an event. You could not formally enter into a legal proceeding your testimony. That was unheard of. And Mary knew that as a Jewish woman, and yet she did the unthinkable. She bore witness. Why is that? Because her position was not horizontally defined It was gospelly defined. Look back at verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, but instead go to my brothers and bear witness. Mary's position was not horizontally or culturally defined. It was not defined by her personality or her past. Her position was defined by who she was in Christ. It reminds me of a story that D.L. Moody told of a young teenage girl. She was a beautiful young lady. Very talented, had the world at her fingertips. Unexpectedly, she became sick. So sick that it relegated her to a bed, half of her body being paralyzed. Her sight was all but gone, but her ears were very clear. And Moody tells the account of the fact that the doctor was speaking to her family in whispered tones. He was saying to her family, tragically, her best days are behind her. Poor girl. This young teenager had been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. She, in her young age, had committed herself, like Mary, like Peter, like John, to Jesus Christ. She had surrendered to the gospel, and she said very loudly to her doctor and to her family, no, 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 my best days are ahead of me, because one day I will see my King of kings and my Lord of lords in his kingdom. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We all bring influences to the cross. Influences of prisons, either keeping Jesus at arm's length or the prisons of our own lives. We bring our personalities. We bring our past. We bring all of these to the cross, and yet we are reminded in this climax of the garden that the resurrection overcomes. My question, friend, to you is, have you responded to the resurrection? Have you received forgiveness of sin? Have you received the transformation of being adopted into the family of God? That's not something we get because we're American or because we grew up in a Christian family or because we attend church once in a while. It is only a personal response to this gospel. And so, friend, my my invitation to you is if this has never taken place in your life, on this Easter Sunday, 2023, will you respond to the gospel by asking God to forgive your sins and because of what Jesus accomplished for you, trust that he will forgive you. Will you get off the throne of your life and invite Jesus to sit on it, spending the rest of your life submitting to him Honoring him, pointing others to him. It is a, it's a progression. This doesn't just happen overnight. Once he saves you, you will spend the rest of your life growing as a child does into maturity, studying God's word, interacting with believers, praying, and he will continue to grow you more and more each day. If that's never happened to you, would you do that this morning? And then, friend, if you have been transformed by the cross, and the empty tomb. Maybe you've been to so many Resurrection Sundays, but you're not living in the power of the victory of the resurrection, and, and you're getting stuck in prison. You're getting stuck in personality. You're getting stuck in your past. You're getting stuck maybe in your position. Maybe you think, well, I don't really need Jesus 24-7 because of my place at, at the workplace, my my bank account, my position in the community. Oh, friends, these things do not define us. They are powerful and they influence us, but the resurrection overcomes all. Would you recalibrate your perspective to a place where you walk out of here proudly and graciously proclaiming, Christ is my identity. Father, I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to celebrate it in a most unique day and most unique way today. But we thank you that it is not something that goes into our rearview mirror, but it is something that we celebrate every moment of every day because the resurrection has overcome all of these influences. Oh, I pray that those who need comfort, those who need hope, those who need help, those who need conviction today have experienced that in the way that they have engaged with your word. Would your Holy Spirit do the rest, I pray, to the glory of Christ.